This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey everyone, I'm Tim Eccles. I'm on the Georgia Public Service Commission. I'm here as your host for Energy Matters today. My co-host is always Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? Good morning, Tim. Doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, doing great. How are things with the family? You guys still locked down over there? You getting out a little bit more? You playing some soccer? What's going on? Yeah, getting out a little bit more. Uh, kids back in school uh, a little bit more and, and everything's going well. So, um, you know, despite the numbers, um, real life is starting to kind of creep back in over here. Well, it's great to have David Smart with us today with Biostar Renewables. Uh, David, you you grew up, I guess you said, as a as a Jayhawk and then became a, a Hoosier in, in college. Um, how did you wind up getting into the renewables business? Yeah, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's, it's great to be with you both. And um, I actually had a, always had an interest in renewable energy and studied uh, in the public and environmental affairs school at Indiana um, before doing a short stint in D.C. Actually, it's a family business for us at Biostar. I work with my mother and stepfather in the business, and uh, my stepfather is a gentleman named Bill Love, who uh, was living as sort of an angel investor after retiring from his electrical contracting career of 30-plus years and uh, got interested in a waste-to-energy business, which was using uh, poultry manure to be able to uh, create a high nitrogen fertilizer as well as renewable biogas. You know, we've got about 4,000 chicken farms north of I-20 in Georgia, but this chicken litter, as we call it here in Georgia, this just chicken litter, you know, to energy just hasn't caught on. I mean, they use it and spread it on fields for fertilizer, but in terms of being able to use it uh, for energy, I guess I guess really it's because there's just not a value proposition for how did y'all get around that? Yeah, absolutely. The the projects are uh, expensive to build and there are, you know, I would imagine some of those farmers in your area are using anaerobic digestion. Um, our secret sauce is that we actually bolt on a process to the back of those digesters uh, that takes the affluent waste from the digesters and creates our fertilizer process, which is certified organic. So it sells um, for a, a, a nice price, about about 10x, you know, urea, which is sort of its inorganic counterpart. Um, but we also, we also create clean water from that process, which is increasingly uh, becoming a bigger deal. So uh, one of the big issues with these digesters, um, you know, has always been there's a lot of affluent wastewater and what to do with that water and uh, some of the negative side effects of floating it out into lagoons and, and things like that. So we're actually able to return, in, in this case, uh, a chicken farmer clean water that they can use to feed the animals or use for some other process on their on their farm on their operation so you're able to add on this this bolt-on as you describe it basically to get more value out of the chicken litter than just the renewable natural gas is that kind of the idea yeah that's exactly right we make a six percent nitrogen uh, food grade organic fertilizer and uh, that that fertilizer of course has a lot of value to us so we're now paying that farmer our feedstock is their manure and we're now paying that farmer you know for our feedstock which was you know previously something that obviously had a cost to them in order to be able to get rid of or manage that manure efficiently. Uh, it reminds me a lot of biodiesel in the sense of going from, you know, restaurants who had waste oil from fryers and things like that, that they had to pay to get someone to come vacuum out to people who are making biodiesel will actually pay the restaurants to take that off their hands. So it takes what was a waste product and turns it into something that actually has value as a feedstock for something else. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And out in California, they have a landfill diversion program. Uh, one, one, you know, 
way that this plays really well is across the country we have a landfill issue. It's hard to get new landfills permitted, uh, and most of them are nearing their capacity. So out in California, they're diverting organic waste and um, there's already an infrastructure set up to do that. So we actually are opening up uh, the San Bernardino Waste to Energy Project here in the next few months, which is the first food waste digester in the region. And we're able to create our fertilizer from that process as well. Casey, how can we create a value proposition for something like this in Georgia where we're sending the right price signals to be able to make something like this happen? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds very much like what David described, right? Is that you take something that that ends up um, or is currently a cost, right, to uh, uh, industrial users and turn it into a profit source, right? So, um, you know, whether it's chicken litter or, you know, used fryer grease or, you know, we talked on a, a previous show about, um, you know, repurposed materials, right? So taking, you know, old bowling alley um, wood or, you know, old fire hoses or whatever and finding another use for it. And, and there's value in that, right? So it's it's about creating that market rather than having it embedded as a cost in, in the way of, of doing operations. David, as you think about, well, you know, that's waste to energy. What are some of the other projects that you guys are seeing a lot of folks want to take advantage of right now? Yeah, great question. We're really excited about the future right now. Uh, there seems to be a, a real push. You know, obviously, uh, you don't have to be an expert to see this sort of ESG wave that's going on right now. And as a result of that, we're seeing a lot of corporations. And David, sorry, just just to interrupt real quickly um, for our listeners who may not know, ESG is uh, environmental, social governance. Environmental, social, and governance. So. Um, sustainability goals, sustainability initiatives, things like that. Um, and yeah, thank you for the clarify. I, I take the acronyms for granted sometimes. So um, happy to clarify there. But no, we're really excited because we see a lot of corporations that are looking for renewable natural gas. And, you know, solar PPAs have been expanding and growing in the last few years. But we think that we're really early in the renewable natural gas side of things. And um, and we're starting to see a lot of corporations demand that product. So, um, you know, we have our work cut out for us to continue building plants across the country. And uh, one thing that's particularly exciting is, you know, in the San Bernardino situation, I consider that sort of the behind the meter application of this technology. Uh, but we're working on some projects right now with commercial and industrial uh, customers that have waste streams, which are high in organic loading. And we're able to use the same process, except that most of the economics are, are going back into their business. So it's sort of a behind the meter, if you will, uh, approach. And, you know, of course, the again, kind of the, the gold mine in it is that we're able to make our organic fertilizer product and therefore able to pay a lease fee um, or a, a feedstock agreement, you know, that makes it economical and, and exciting for everybody. So, David, one of the things that I've heard from uh, folks who do energy efficiency or renewables in the past has been that kind of tying into this ESG thing, right? So corporate sustainability or climate change goals or whatever it may be has been really tough to get from, you know, the big corporates like Walmart or McDonald's down to, you know, midsize and smaller firms. Um, and I've seen some evidence in the study that I run at Escalant that seems like smaller businesses are starting to take this more seriously and are starting to invest in things that reduce their environmental footprint. I mean, does that square with what you guys see working in the market? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it is being sort of led from the top down as well. You have folks like Walmart who've released their gigaton plan uh, to help you know other people in their supply chain uh, that might be smaller and medium-sized businesses start you know, on the path toward achieving those goals. So, you know, with respect to these projects, in order to have, uh, you know, 
economies you need economies of scale in order to make a project feasible for the most part we need really really big projects but we also um, you know as a solar developer are, are definitely seeing uh, what you're discussing with smaller and medium-sized corporations at least getting out there and starting to figure out what their options are and I think that people are finding that um, you know on-site renewables is great but it's not for everybody but there are options even for small and medium-sized businesses to go out there and buy credits trade credits uh, and be able to set and hit ESG goals. Um, and I think that, you know, at the very, very top of that, I, I do believe that the consumer is absolutely, you know, helping to drive that. Um, because I think that to the modern day consumer is, is discerning and, um, you know, for an extra buck or all things being equal, uh, you know, ultimately will will choose the brand that aligns with their values. Well, David, where can folks find out more about your company? Yeah, thank you. BiostarRenewables.com is our website. There's a lot of great resources in there uh, in our resource library and contact information. And I have to take this opportunity to plug our new podcast, Renewables. You can find that uh, anywhere that you watch your podcast or listen to your podcasts, uh, as well as in our resource library on our website. Well, great. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. He's Casey Boyce at KC Boyce. The shows that matters radio. Stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. We'll be right back. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payment Payments are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at bettertomorrowsolar.com. That's bettertomorrowsolar.com and see how you make your world better. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. This is Tim Eccles. I'm on the road with my friend Alan Shedd. Last time I came to you, I was sitting at his house on the Sapala River. Today, he's sitting at my house. We ate shrimp last time. Today, we ate some chicken noodle soup. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Thanks a lot, Tim, and thanks for the soup. It was excellent. Well, it's good to have you in Jackson County. Um, I am a Jackson EMC member, and in the first segment today, we talked about biogas uh, and some of the things that Biostar Renewables are doing, including compost, a composting operation for San Bernardino, California. This is a large company that works around the, the nation. And as we think about our EMCs, you guys are, you guys are doing something similar, right? That's right. When we first got involved with green power uh, back in, I guess, 2005, 
one of the first renewable projects we did was to look at landfills. Uh, landfills produce methane gas just as a byproduct of all that waste sitting there. So we installed generators at several landfills around the state to produce electricity from from what is an otherwise wasted resource. So anybody that's ever gone to a landfill maybe to drop off something that the trash company wouldn't pick up, you you sometimes see a flare, um, and, and they're flaring this gas, but that, that's really not the best use for it, is it? It's not. You know, any time you have a, a landfill full of organic waste, it's giving off methane as part of anaerobic decomposition. They have to install a gas collection system to pull all that gas out of the landfill, and then typically they flare it because methane, if you let it escape into the environment, is a really bad greenhouse gas. Flaring it, even though it's a waste, has less impact on on global warming. But obviously, if you could use that methane for something more valuable than just running a big Bunsen burner, you'd be better off. Generate electricity, or as, as I'm sure you've covered in another segment, you know, cleaning that gas up and perhaps putting it in a pipeline. I mean, is that something that can be scaled uh, at, at every landfill, or is it pretty expensive to do? Well, when we first looked at this, we looked at landfills all across the state and, and identified 50 that were potential targets. Now, for us, we were looking for ones that, you know, were served by an EMC that had all the right conditions. So we came up with a shorter list. But, you know, landfills above a certain size are good candidates. And the interesting thing is even after they're closed, even even after they stop receiving new waste, they still produce methane gas for 20, 25 years. So this is a long-term play. You know, you think about the the methane and the power you can generate from it. You know, that's a, a resource that we're not really taking advantage of. And then I think about this other nexus with landfills, and that is reuse and recycling, composting, keeping things out of the landfill, keeping that landfill alive a little bit longer. I mean, I know that people talk about this. I mean, you've been in this sustainability space for a long time. How how has recycling and composting kind of evolved uh, through your time in, in energy? Well, it's interesting because depending on where you live and what your background is, you know, folks have been composting since the beginning of time. You know, I think I think having a landfill is kind of a more recent invention, if you will. But obviously, anything you can do to take that organic matter and do something more beneficial, compost it and then use that, you know, for whether it's to put around your house plants or use in a garden or use on a farm, much better use than just dumping it in a landfill. Same with the recycling. Obviously, being able to use that plastic, glass, aluminum, all those metals that we would otherwise just be throwing away for generations we can reuse that and the energy it takes to reuse that is much less than than starting from scratch we've talked on this show before about how glass recycling is not in vogue anymore and and where it's is you know it's popular to have that craft bag at starbucks or mcdonald's where you know this was made from recycled products but glass not so much people still want the clear glass it's almost like they they want the beauty of that, and they're not willing to take a cloudy glass or something that's, you know, this this made from recycled glass because you do have to separate those colors, uh, don't you, in order to be able to recycle it? Yep. And in, in the early days, certainly here in Hall County, where where I live, you know, we used to separate our glass by color. There was a clear bin, a brown bin, a green bin. Now it's single stream, and the only thing you can really do with all that mixed together is make brown glass out of it. You can't take you know, brown glass and turn it into clear. So it does limit your option. The other option, of course, is to use that glass for something else, maybe make insulation out of it. How, how does that work? Well, fiberglass insulation are basically fine glass threads, if you will. So you're, you can imagine you know, taking molten glass and then, and then creating these long, thin strands uh, you know, to make other products out of. And then if we come up with a plan to do rebates or other things to help people get more insulation in their house, which we do have that, by the way, with Georgia Power, and this house that we're sitting in front of, I received a rebate from Jackson EMC for doubling my insulation. We really help ourselves and 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 our grid by doing that, don't we? Well, absolutely. You know, reuse is, is the best thing. If you can use that glass more than one time, that's the best use. 
the next use is okay can we recycle it can we make something else out of it whether it's another you know coca-cola bottle or it's you know another product that uses glass as the input there are even folks who are using ground up glass in roadways well i hope that we can continue to uh, to to make progress with this and get glass recycling back in the mix because i feel like that as that glass goes into the landfill uh, i mean it has air in it right they're not breaking it to put it into the landfill uh, I don't think, I, and so it is taking up space. I mean, maybe it does get crushed as the truck pours it out into the landfill, but it seems like it seems like we're filling up landfills quicker by not recycling glass. Very much so, and not just glass, but a lot of products. You think about all the wood waste that goes into la- to landfills, all the plastic. Think about all the styrofoam that folks you know throw away over the course of a year. That's a lot of volume, and that volume translates into acres. Of, of landfill that just sit there for, for generations. I was in Canada up in Montreal looking at the Kruger White Cloud toilet paper plant there and they had a biomass facility, I think it was 15 megawatts that they were selling to Hydro-Quebec uh, but they were taking paper sludge that was kind of muddy. It, it was definitely wet uh, and they were plopping it onto a conveyor belt and then on top of that, they took yard waste that was shredded. And then on top of that, and I'd never seen this before, Alan, they had what was called tire fluff. And they took me to the tire fluff pile. And you could pick up this tire fluff and blow it, and it would blow like snow out of your hand. It was that fine. And they sprinkled the tire fluff almost like icing on top of it. And, of course, it's flammable because it, it, it has oil in it. And then they were using the steam of that to make white cloud toilet paper, and they were getting a power purchase, a, a, you know, agreement contract from Hydro Quebec to put that energy back on the grid. But it seems like, it seems like there are creative things like that that we can do that helps us to do things other than putting things in a landfill. You're absolutely right, Tim. There are a lot of creative, very inventive people, you know, all across the globe, and certainly here in the U.S. A lot of industrial processes do use their waste streams very effectively. It's the consumers, it's, it's folks like us, you know, who are putting things in a garbage can and a truck picks it up and it's just out of sight, where oftentimes the big waste comes from. As we wrap up of the next few minutes, this segment, I want to talk about the Petit Lama that we were a part of. Um, we had the corral there. We talked about it for months. Uh, and... We had a lot of volunteers. We had, on Saturday, we had three Porsche Taycans there. We had that Audi e-tron. We had your plug-in Prius. We had Teslas just all over the place. We had my Volt. We had a Chevy Bolt that BMW provided. And, you know, I felt like, man, this was a great way to expose race fans to electric vehicles. I mean, it was hard work. You were there every day with me. And we were tired when it ended. But, you know, from your perspective as a promoter of electric vehicles for Oglethorpe Power, how do you kind of sum up what happened? It was a great opportunity to get in front of a group of people that don't normally think in terms of electric vehicles. Sure, Porsche has an amazing electric vehicle, very high-performance Taycan, that would appeal to that group. And everyone who came by knew the specs already. So they know what it is, but they'd never seen one in person being able to reach out and make that concept real to them. Yeah, they're not willing to abandon gas-powered cars and drive electric around the racetrack, but you have to start somewhere. And I think I think it was a great start, and I think something that we ought to look at building on. And just the week before, you and I had brought together the EMC presidents up at Atlanta Motorsports Park, just kind of on the other side of North Georgia in Dawsonville, where those EMC presidents had a really fun go-kart race. They raised about $10,000 for uh, a charity that provides money to low-income ratepayers struggling to pay their bill. Uh, And we we made a part of this that if you lost the race, of course there were 15 losers, I think, out of the 16, then you had to budget for an EV. I mean, you're in the EMC world. Uh, what, what was the feedback after the event? It seemed like everybody had a great time. They absolutely had a great time. Now, the, the reality of, of 
oh my gosh, now we've got to look at, at acquiring an EV. You know, we'll, we'll have those discussions and I'll certainly support them as we can to, uh, to help them make that transition. It's really important for us all to have EVs in our fleets. Wish we could have done the race in electric vehicles. Yeah, maybe so uh, in the future. Well, look, Alan, it's always great having you on Energy Matters. Keep up the great work. Thanks for inviting me. Always a pleasure, Tim. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Stick around. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors. On the road again. Hey, this is Commissioner Eccles. I'm on the road at the Lovett School over on the Chattahoochee River in Atlanta. And we've got a number of Cub Scouts here. They're learning about energy today. And I'm going to interact with them. And you guys will have a chance to, to listen to them as well. So I'm going to go ahead and set this up by saying in front of me, I've got a couple things. I've got a, a strip of solar panel, and I'm going to pass this around for you guys to see. Uh, you can see the regular piece of the panel here, and then a special coating. And I'm going to ask you in a minute what you think that coating is for. So uh, you can kind of feel that and pass it around. I also have in front of me uh, some wood pellets. Uh, and these wood pellets are made by a company called Drax Biomass, and they're made out of, uh, out of pine trees. And so it could be some sawdust in this. It could be some wood chips ground up. I want each of you to take a wood pellet and kind of feel just how compressed these are. And as you go to Savannah, Georgia, if you ever go down there, uh, just, uh, just down the river from downtown, there's a giant dome. And that dome is full of these wood pellets. And these wood pellets are being put on a boat, uh, boats. Uh, there's a bunch of them and they're being shipped to England, uh, and they're being burned for their power because they're eliminating coal as a generation source, and they're burning these wood pellets. Obviously, they have some natural gas, and they have some nuclear power. So let me, let me ask, let me, I'm going to just go down the line because I want all of y'all to have a chance to be on the radio. What's your name? Sam. And Sam, how old are you? Uh, Ten. So Sam, as you think about energy, and I say you know, Sam, you know, what's, uh, what's the most important thing you know about energy? What would you say? Uh, the most important thing is that I guess that it should be renewable and that it should be able to be used across big, big countries or... That it be usable, that it provide power that people need, right? And so... Countries like the United States and other developing countries, we have a lot of energy sources. Countries like Germany, which uh, is, is a very sophisticated country because they don't have the vast gas resources that we have. They buy their gas. Does anyone know where Germany buys uh, most of their gas? What, what's your name? Louis. Louis, where do you think Germany buys their gas? Um, Iran. 
Uh, close. Not Iran. Uh, what's your name? Copeland. And Copeland, where do you think Germany gets their natural gas? Russia. It is Russia, in fact. So, so the fact that they get their gas from Russia and that that gas is expensive, would you say that in some way makes them more friendly or obligated to support Russian policy or not necessarily? I think yes. So let me ask you, let me go with you, Copeland, because uh, you seem to be the smartest guy in the room right now. So, Copeland, let me ask you, we make, in, in the past, the United States, we've had a lot of nuclear reactors. I think we had about 102 of them. Slowly but surely, some of those are being turned off. And Georgia is the only state that's building a new nuclear reactor. In China, they're building 26 reactors. So let me ask you, if China and Russia, and Russia's building them too, if China and Russia are building reactors, perfecting the design, and then selling the design to other developing countries, what do you think the relationship is going to be like between Russia and these countries and China and these countries? How, how would you say it would impact, say, geopolitics or uh, the, the relationship a country would have with Russia or China? I feel like that um, Russia and China could, like, use them, like, do something. So, if, like, blah, 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 if you don't do this, we won't give you any, fa- or any fuels or something. So, you, what you're saying is that they possibly could use use it to pressure these countries into complying with them or being friendly to them or maybe buying military hardware from them or other things like that. Is that right, Copeland? Yes. Copeland, once again, you've proven that you're the smartest guy so far uh, in the room uh, because that's exactly what we fear might happen. And so if the United States stops making the technology... Uh, and we've taken technology that certain military hardware run on. Does anyone know what in the Navy runs on nuclear power? Does anyone here know anything about the Navy? What's your name? Anna. Anna, uh, what do you think in the Navy runs on nuclear energy? Um, I think the um tanks well the tanks are part of the army and right now they're they're not running on nuclear energy but there are think about the navy and what the navy uh the navy's operating in the ocean right so or under the ocean what would you think would be something that would run on nuclear energy um maybe an aircraft carrier an aircraft carrier is exactly right they run on nuclear energy and so does submarines submarines and some battleships so this technology that we have that's running on nuclear energy is i mean i think it gives the united states a a competitive advantage does anyone know what a competitive advantage means what's your name i'm james james uh what is a competitive advantage a competitive advantage is an advantage like when you're competing or like trying to like compete against something or someone yeah, so uh, if you're competing against someone, uh, let's take the University of Georgia, for example, and Georgia Tech. Uh, um, so uh, would you say that in football that Georgia had a competitive advantage over Georgia Tech? I definitely think they did. Yes. And so is it because they have faster runners and better quarterbacks? And is that is, – is it, is it the athleticism or is it the brains that gives a competitive advantage? The athleticism. In football, it is. So while tech people, while tech people may be, may be a little smarter, right? Maybe. Uh, but when it comes to things like athletics, they're usually behind. And I agree with you. So second smartest guy in the room. So we've got the Navy that has a competitive advantage when our submarines don't have to come up out of the water to refuel, right? They can go all the way around the planet and not have to come up for fuel. That's a competitive advantage. If, if someone's running, say, diesel submarines or something else where they've got to come up to get gas, then nuclear energy is important. So you've got the solar panel that I've passed around. Uh, has it made it all the way around? So let me ask, uh, let me go down the line. Did I talk with you yet? What's your name? Lewis. Lewis, uh, how old are you? Uh, 11. Okay, Lewis, this is a solar panel, uncoated and coated. What do you think the one that's coated could be used for? Um, I think it might be like a protective seal against like maybe, let's say, there's solar panels on the moon, and then the sun's rays are like 
bigger or like brighter, I guess. So then the solar panel would like burn up. Certainly our spacecraft, our satellites, other technology use solar. This particular coating, kind of, kind of rub your finger on it. Notice how skid resistant it is. This is actually a French product. And if you go to Normandy, which is in the northern part of France, there's a road paved with these. Not this, but this side, because cars drive over it, and it keeps those cars from slipping, especially when it's raining. So, and down at a rest stop in Georgia, in West Point, coming up I-85, if you're coming back, say, from Montgomery, there at the rest stop, there's a little bitty road that has this technology on it. And the solar panel actually powers the rest stop, and you can drive over it, even an 18-wheeler uh, can can drive over it. Let me go a minute and talk about this trash truck that I have here. And for our listeners out there, I'm at Lovett School, and I'm talking with Cub Scouts here. Uh, I've got a Republic Waste Services replica of a trash truck, and I've also got one of their their bins. Does anyone recycle at home? Uh, let me uh, l- let me ask your name. My name is Burn. And Burn, what kind of stuff do you put in your recycle bin? Glass, plastic, cardboard. And where do you think uh, that material goes? Uh, to get melted down and recycled into like make plastic water bottles and stuff and cardboard boxes. Yeah. So let's say that you just put it in the regular trash and it was sent to a place. Where's that place? Where does your trash go? To the landfill, and it just sits in like a yard and kind of decomposes. So. It decomposes. Uh, how long would it take, say, aluminum or glass uh, to decompose? Of a th- around like probably a year or, t- or two. Or maybe it might not even at all. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the better answer. I mean, it, it will eventually. But it's far better to recycle it. Just thinking about practically speaking, if you're not putting all the glass and all the cardboard and all the plastic milk jugs and all the aluminum in the landfill, does it... Does it let the landfill last about the same amount of time, or would it extend the life of the landfill? If you put all that stuff in the landfill, it would probably extend it because it takes longer to decompose. Yeah, and so by putting recyclables in the landfill, it, it takes up more room, right? And as a result of taking up more room, it may actually fill it up quicker. It will eventually decompose but when a landfill fills up, do you know what the trash company then has to do? Sort through it and make sure there's no, like, I think they sort through it and make sure there's no, like, recyc- stuff that's supposed to be recycled. Yeah, sometimes they do actually put it on a sorter, take that stuff out, trying to catch it. But when they fill up a landfill, they certainly have to go get another landfill, and it's, and it's probably a little further out. So you guys have done great. Um, we're coming to the end of this first segment. So, hey, to my audience, stick around. we got Cub Scouts here talking to us all about energy, and we'll be back in just a minute. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev hybrid.com energy matters would like to thank gas south for its support of the show gas south has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state use the promo code matters for a special deal gas south the difference is good
Hey, it's Commissioner Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. I'm at Love at School with some Cub Scouts, and we're talking energy today. Actually, we're talking all kind of things. We're talking wood pellets. We're talking recycling. We're talking composting. We're talking solar. We're going to talk a little wind energy. Composting. Let me ask you, how many of you, uh, how many of you eat a cafeteria meal here at school? So who haven't I talked with? Let me go over here to this young man. What's your name? George. So, George, you eat in the cafeteria. What do you think happens to the leftover food scraps? It gets stored in the trash. And that trash probably goes where? To a landfill. And then what happens to the food material at the landfill? Um, it pretty much decays and has, like, yeah, and decomposers. Eat. Yeah. So it decomposes. It actually eventually becomes methane gas, and you can actually pipe that methane gas out and you could actually turn a motor with it and turn a turbine and generate electricity. In fact, he's an expert on that. He's done that uh, at, at places, and so he knows probably more about doing methane power generation than you know, probably anybody in this whole county that we're in. Do you know that you could actually take compost food and you could put it into a drum a spinning drum that you could actually do the project here. The University of Georgia does this. Georgia College does this. You could put it into a drum, mix it with some grass clippings, mix it with some wood chips, and there's a chemical reaction that happens. And what do you think is the result of food scraps plus grass clippings plus maybe some wood shavings or wood chips. Does anybody want to take a, a guess? What's your name? Uh, Chandler. So Chandler, you're mixing together. Give this some thought. You're mixing together all kind of, not animal products. I'm thinking here just food scraps from vegetables, bread, rice, uh, food scraps from, from your cafeteria. You're mixing it with grass clippings and some wood material, and worms get involved in about, three months what do you think what do you think those worms make um those worms might have like decomposed that stuff because it would had been there for like three months yeah so it does have a chemical reaction that happens and it is being decomposed and back to copeland here the smartest guy in the room copeland pressures on you here what does the material become soil that's exactly right, Copeland. It becomes soil. Uh, Copeland, you need a job. Uh, you, you're looking for employment. I'd like to talk to you about maybe being my personal assistant. So Copeland's right. The compost and companies like Cox Enterprises up in Sandy Springs, they take all the material out of their cafeteria and they run it through these composting machines. They make soil and then they use it in their flower beds and for landscaping. I mean, it seems so much smarter, doesn't it, than just tossing it into the landfill. So that's a cool thing. Let's talk for a second about, about wind energy. Uh, who haven't I talked to on the radio yet? What's your name, young man? Uh, Reed. And how old are you, Reed? 11. So, Reed, would you say Georgia compared to, say, Kansas or compared to, say, California or even, say, the Florida beaches. Do you think this area has better wind or worse wind than those areas that I just mentioned? Worse wind because, like, if you're in, like, Florida beaches, it's just off the coast. So, like, if you have, say you have a hurricane, then, like, it would more likely to be in Florida, like, where it's near the coast, so you get more, more winds. Yeah, so you certainly have better breezes in Florida. And... Any of you ever been to Tybee Island, Georgia, near Savannah? Uh, what's your name? Jacob. And Jacob, you've been to, to Tybee. Was it breezy there or just still? Uh, I actually forgot because was, I was really little. Actually, if you go about five miles off of the Tybee coast, it's the best wind in Georgia. It's a continual breeze. And in order to generate electricity with wind... Would you think that you would need consistent wind or periodic wind? And so let me go to someone that I haven't talked with. What's your name? J.D. J.D. And J.D., would you prefer periodic or consistent wind? Consistent. And why is that? Because you can make more energy if it's always happening instead of off and on, because off and on would mean half the time you're making energy rather than the full 
time that your windmill is blowing. That's exactly right. And the challenge that countries like Germany is having right now, uh, because Germany has a lot of renewable energy, about half of their energy is renewable energy, two-thirds of it wind, and about a third solar. And so if the wind's blowing in the North Sea and in Germany, in the northern part of Germany, and the sun's shining during the daytime, they can power their country and probably half of Western Europe uh, because they have so much capacity. But let me ask you, J.D., uh, uh, can we control the wind? No. And so it becomes an intermittent form of energy. Uh, and uh, I've been to Germany and seen all their wind maps. They actually, I went into a room and they were plotting out 52 weeks of the year with historic wind patterns, trying to do what? Uh, let me go back to Copeland on this. Um, Copeland, pressure, pressure's on you. Why would the Germans take in a room and show exactly how the wind blew last year, week one, week two, week three, week four. Why would they look at a historic pattern? What might they be trying to do by showing the miles per hour that the wind was blowing across their country? To predict future wind spots so they could put windmills there. That is exactly right, Copeland, that they are trying to take the past to determine, okay, the fourth week in April, you know, every year we seem to get good winds here, and so we're probably going to have great wind capacity. But when the wind's not blowing, then the Germans have to think about doing other things, and their favorite thing to do is to buy energy from their neighbors. The country of France is one of their fine neighbors. Anyone ever been to France? And tell me your name again. Louis. Louis, what part of France did you go to? Provence. So did you see any nuclear power plants there by chance? Well, it's more of a countryside, so no. But um, I guess there are some in France. In fact, uh, about three quarters of French energy is powered by nuclear power plants. And so while Germany, they're turning off their nuclear power plants, they don't like them. The French love them. But the law in the European Union says that you can't, if you need energy, and so if the wind's not blowing in Germany, the sun's not shining, and they need energy, they can't discriminate about the electrons. And it's the electrons that are generating the electricity. They can't say, oh, we only want green electrons. We only want wind electrons. We only want solar electrons. They have to just take the electrons, no matter how the electrons were created by, you know, by a nuclear power plant or by, uh, by, by some kind of dam up in Norway or the Netherlands or over in Poland, uh, you know, in a coal plant. They have to just take them, you know, for whatever, whatever the price is. But the French, back during the 70s, when there was an oil embargo, the French the, the French were brought to their knees. There were long gas lines, just like there were in this country. But what the French said is, never again will we be beholden to any other country. You remember when Copeland talked about that the Germans were a little bit beholden to the Russians for the gas? Well, the French were a little beholden to Iran and to the other Middle Eastern countries for their oil uh, to be able to run power plants and the French became experts in nuclear energy, and, and they still are. Georgia, you'll be proud to know, is the only state in America building a new nuclear power plant. 8,000 workers over in Augusta, Georgia. Anybody been to Augusta? Anybody been over to the Masters? Who haven't I, uh, I, I talked with? Uh, you've been to Augusta? I've been to the Masters. And so did you know that Augusta, Georgia is really the home of new nuclear in the United States? I did not know that. You would have had to look down the river uh, about 30 miles, but just down from Augusta, down from the Savannah River that flows, is Plant Vogel. And why would we be putting nuclear power plants on a river? Because um, rivers produce energy, and you still need energy to make more energy at the power plant. Not exactly. Do I dare go back to Copeland for this? Uh, would, 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 someone, would someone else want to try this? Uh, what's your name? Chandler. Chandler, why would we be placing power plants, nuclear power plants, coal power plants, on rivers? 
basically because the river is moving fast and that's creating energy and then they can use that energy to run the factory. I think y'all are straining too hard on this. It's much simpler than that. What's your name? JD. JD. Why are we putting nuclear power plants and coal plants on rivers? Um, well, you can ship uh, power off, I guess, on a river. And also on a river, if there's any waste, it's easier to, like, get rid of it. Those are all good guesses that, that, that you've made. But there's just one more really important thing that has to do with temperature. Uh, let me ask just one more person, because we're about out of time in this segment. Yes, why would we put a nuclear power plant on a river? Because the water gets colder. The water cools the reactor down. It's a, it's a continual source of water, right? And we do that on coal plants as well. Just like the gas plant over here at Plant McDonough, not too far. It'd be a great field trip for these scouts to make, is to go over there. Well, look, we're out of time in this segment. It's been great being here at Love It, talking to these scouts, future engineers in the making. I'm Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters, where it matters radio on Twitter. I'm at Tim Eccles. Hope you have a great day. Continue to use technology to live a more sustainable life, and we sure hope you save money on your power bill as a result of our show. Have a great day. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com. Solarsunworld.com.